Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. Hey there, Bible Center family. It's so great to have you with us. I'm Matt, the lead pastor here at Bible Center, and looking forward to diving in today to 1 John chapter 4. We're in the middle of a series. The series is entitled, Are You Certain? And I want you to be sure that you're sure that you're sure. I, I want you to know that you know that you know that you are born again. This is one of the big themes in the, in the, the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. I believe this series is important for a lot of reasons. I believe that uh, there are some even listening and watching today who aren't yet sure of their faith in Christ. And if that's you, my prayer is that you will put your faith in Jesus, become a Jesus follower. No doubt there are Christians watching and listening today who, who maybe you don't have assurance of your salvation I'm praying that this message and this entire series will give you the assurance that God wants you to have. Maybe you just need some spiritual encouragement, or maybe you've been influenced by some false teaching about eternal security or assurance of salvation. Usually it falls in one of two extremes. There's one bit of false teaching that says that you can actually lose your salvation if you commit certain sins. But on the other side of the extreme, there are some who would almost insinuate, I don't know that they would say it, but they insinuate as if you've had a religious experience, if you've prayed a prayer, if you've walked an aisle and you've been baptized, you can just live however you want to, which actually that also doesn't match up with the biblical description of a Christian. And so, so far in this series, we've tried to look at what is a genuine believer. We've seen that genuine believers have a relationship with Jesus. They have a desire to turn away from sin, a desire for the things of God, and then a determination never to quit. There's this perseverance in those of us who were born again that we don't whatever want to deny Christ. If you've missed any of the messages, I'll encourage you to check it out on the app, the Bible Center app. Uh, you can download it for free. It has all of our messages in this series and other series. But I hope you also find the sermon notes helpful. All the messages have extensive sermon notes, uh, especially as of late in this series. And there's far more in the notes than we have time to cover. And so it'll give you something to study this week in your Bible. Today's message is titled Certain Love. And I want to give you one big idea and two things to do. One big idea and two things to do. Let's go ahead and jump in. Here's the big idea of today's message. Real Christians receive and reflect God's love through Jesus. Real Christians receive and reflect God's love through Jesus. That's really a summary of 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Let's dive into our text. Verse 7 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. This is the third time in the letter of 1 John that John talks about love being an evidence of our faith. He does it in chapter 2 and in chapter 3. 
One reason is that the book of 1 John doesn't really read like a normal letter. It's more of a poetic sermon. And so John takes several core truths and he cycles through those truths, each time hitting it from a different angle, which is why we've heard about love in chapter 2 and chapter 3 and now in chapter 4. I like to describe the book of 1 John like this. It's a lot like a roller coaster and that especially the loops of a roller coaster turn back on themselves. These are what the themes of 1 John are like. In chapter 2, you've got love being an evidence of our salvation, and the same thing in chapter 3, and then the same thing in chapter 4. Another reason that John mentions love again and again is I believe we need the message again and again. I know I haven't mastered loving others, not even close, and I'm sure you haven't as well. Selfless love is the identifying mark of a Christian. Genuine Jesus followers are marked by God's type of love. Love is defined as giving oneself as a sacrifice for others, just like Jesus. Real Jesus followers keep his command to love one another. God's true children center their whole lives on the crucified and risen Christ because that's where God's heart was revealed. It doesn't cause us to ignore the other marks of a genuine believer, but it's to be included with all the rest. Unbelievers can love others to some degree, but not in the same way that God's indwelling presence enables Christians to love. In a way that we can't fully understand, there is divine love that can only be experienced in Jesus Christ. And then in verse 18, he says this, verse 8 actually, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now verse 8 is the opposite side of the coin of verse 7. So in verse 7, he said, genuine believers love God and love others. Now we're going to see that unbelievers don't truly love God, and they can't deeply or divinely love others. When he says God is love, this is one of the few times where God is identified with one of his attributes. He's not saying that the emotion of love is God or that love is God's only attribute, for we know that God has many attributes. But what it does show us is that love is core to God's being. Now, theologians point out that the reason that God is love is because God is triune. God is Trinity. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God in three persons, but one God. As we read the Gospel of John, we actually learn that the Father for eternity has loved the Son, and the Son has loved the Spirit, and the Spirit has loved the Son, and the Son has loved the Father. There's this beautiful love taking place in the Trinity, which is overflows into the life of a Christian. Verse 9 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This verse sounds a lot like John 3.16, John's gospel, where it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. How did God demonstrate or show his love to us? Well, he did that by sending his one and only son. Reminds me of Romans 5.8, God demonstrated or showed his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In verse 10, he continues, This is love, not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I would encourage you to note the timing of verse 10. In verse 10, he doesn't say that we love God and then he loved us, but actually God loved us first and we love in response. Here's a good principle to live by or to remember when you're thinking about your salvation. The the shepherd always seeks the sheep. The sheep don't initially seek the shepherd. It's God who loved us first. It was Jesus who came first for us and we respond in faith. God did the unthinkable. The creator God, after having been rejected by his creation and who could have destroyed us all and started over, chose out of compassion to take on the penalty for our sin and suffer in our place. A king dying for unrepentant traitors. It's kind of hard for us to be proud about our spirituality when we think about it and that light. God loved us, we love him in return. Verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Genuine Christians will ultimately love others. Now, of course, this isn't perfect in our lives. I'm still on the journey. If you're a Jesus follower, you're still on the journey. But genuine Christians are growing in our love. We want to love more like our Savior has loved us. And then John says something interesting in verse 12. It's almost like he takes a quick detour. He says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now, why would he say no one has ever seen God? He's in the middle of a paragraph talking about God's love for us and our response, love for him and love for others. And all of a sudden he says, No one has ever seen God. Well, the reason is that the false teachers in Ephesus and the false teachers in that part of the world at that time evidently were teaching that they had these experiences of seeing God. They almost felt as though they were elite. They were in a special category because they had these epiphanies of seeing this spirit God. Now, I don't know, were they seeing demons? Were they having just hallucinations? Were they just making it up? I don't know, but all John does say is, no, these false teachers are not seeing God. No one has seen God, of course, except through the person of Jesus Christ that he'll say in a moment. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete. So in response to the false teachers, in his gospel, back in the gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 18, John writes to these people and says, you say that you've seen God. Well, if you want to see God, you see him in the person of Jesus Christ. That's where you know God. There's no secret, private revelation going on. You look at Jesus. And of course, for us now, we look about what's written about Jesus But John doesn't do that here in 1 John. In this verse, in verse 12, instead of pointing to Jesus, which he had every right to do and he had already done back in his gospel, instead he points to you and me. He says, look, no one has seen God, but if you want to know what God is like, look at the people in whom God lives. Look at Christians and that's how you'll know God, what God is like. Talk about a big responsibility. 
but what an opportunity. In verse 13, he reminds us that it's the Spirit who does this. This is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us of His Spirit. A couple things about this idea of the Spirit, and that is that our assurance of salvation is really a very spiritual matter. It's more than just knowing some facts, but we're praying that the Spirit of God, that God will use these truths of the series and ignite your heart with assurance of your salvation. If you want to know more about the Spirit, love, connection, uh, you can read John chapter 13, verse, chapter 13 through chapter 17 in his gospel, and he talks a lot about the Spirit giving this love and assurance in our hearts. So how do we know that the Spirit lives in us? There's obviously not a Geiger counter where we can somehow know right away that the Spirit is in us, but he's going to give us two litmus tests. We see the first one in verse 14 and 15. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. So the first evidence that the Spirit lives in us is that we confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Another way to say this in a different part of this letter, and the Apostle Paul says it this way, is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God, or Jesus is the Son of God. So we know that those who confess Christ as Lord have the Spirit within them. It's not a feeling, not an emotion. It is just a fact. But then there's another evidence he gives us in verse 16 that we can know that the Spirit lives in us. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So the second way we can know that the Spirit lives in us is if we have the love of God in our hearts. Do you love God? Do you love, genuinely love others? Well, that's an assurance, John says, that the Spirit of God lives within you. There's this progression. The more we know the Bible, the more we see of God's unconditional love. The more we see of His unconditional love, the more eternal security, the more assurance we'll have in our hearts that our salvation is real. Today, our men's Bible study, our discipleship group, we met at lunch, met at noon, and we went through some of the Psalms that we've been reading in our Through the Bible program. We just opened up God's Word. We knew we had an hour, and we would read a Psalm, and we would talk about what we learned about God, what we learned about God's plan of salvation from that Psalm, and then we talked about what we could apply to our own lives from that Psalm. And when, after the end of that hour, I had just left with such spiritual confidence, such a spiritual boost and encouragement, because that's what happens when we get to know God. He assures us of our salvation in a very spiritual way. Verse 17, he says, And this is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. John is trying to be a good pastor here. John wants his readers, he wants the church, he wants his hearers, he wants us to be prepared for judgment day. John wants us to have a good day on that great day. And he's going to continue this thought in verse 18. He says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear 
because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now, I've taught this verse in 19 years of full-time ministry. I've taught this verse multiple times, uh, but it wasn't really until this week that I think I'm beginning to grasp the context of verse 18. Taken by itself, you could apply this principle in all aspects of life, but in context, he's talking about the final judgment. Back in verse 17, he had just said, there's no need for you to fear the final judgment if you're a follower of Jesus because there's no condemnation for you. But in verse 18, he continues this thought, talking about final judgment or punishment. This word punishment's interesting. It's only used in the Greek language in one other place in the Bible, and that's Matthew chapter 25 and verse 46. And in that verse, it's clearly talking about the final judgment day. And so all John is saying here is if your faith is in Jesus, if your faith is in Christ, you need not fear the final judgment. You can relish in the love of God, not because of your own righteousness, not because what you've done or haven't done, but you can relish in the love of Christ knowing that on that day when you stand before the Lord, you will be judged based upon the righteousness of Jesus not on your own righteousness or lack thereof. So if I'm speaking to you today and you're scared about judgment day, one of two things are true. You either need to become a Christian, need to be born again, put your faith in Christ, repent and flee to Christ. But if you're already Christ's, if you already belong to Jesus, then you need a dose of the love of God. Because John says, if we fully understand how much God loves us, we'll have no need to fear on the final judgment day. Certainly, we respect God. We reverence God. In many places, it's translated fear God. But John is saying here, this earthly, this scared type of fear is not something we need to have because Jesus calls us his own. In Romans 8.1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. He goes on in Romans 8 and says that, if, that there's, there's, this love of God can never be lost. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns and calls me home. Here is the power of Christ. I'll stand. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from all sin. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies a parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints' and angels' 
song. I love how he continues this thought in verse 19. We love because he first loved us. God's love is a gift demonstrated by Jesus on the cross. And our love for God and others is a response to God's love for us. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. We love God best when we love others most. We love God best when we love others most. We love God and others because he first loved us. And then verse 20, he says this, Whoever claims to love God but hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The thing about brothers and sisters is that you know one another's imperfections. It's the same as it is in the church. The more you get to know the people in the church, your brothers and sisters in Christ, the more you know their imperfections and they know your imperfections. But God says the fact that we persevere in love and we fight for unity is actually evidence of our salvation. And then in verse 21, he concludes this thought by saying, he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love his brother and sister. So if we're going to summarize these verses, we can summarize it with our big idea. Real Christians receive and reflect God's love through Jesus. Real Christians receive and reflect God's love through Jesus. You say, well, what can we do with this message? What's the takeaway? Here's the first takeaway. There's two. The first one is this. Receive God's love through Jesus Christ. Receive God's love through Jesus Christ. Notice it doesn't say earn God's love. There's nothing you could do to earn God's love. God created all things, but sin has broken all things. You and I are broken by sin. There is no way that we can ever put ourselves back together. I may be speaking to a man and you've been thinking that you needed to clean your life up and then come back to Jesus. That's not how it works. You come back to Jesus and let him clean your life up. Maybe I'm speaking to a woman and you just think there's no way that you are lovable, that there's no way that God could love you. My prayer is that God will open your heart and that you will receive the love of God. Again, Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus came to save. That's why he lived the perfect life, walking the dusty roads of Israel. That's why a little over 30-some years of age, Jesus died on the cross to pay God's punishment, God's penalty. It was more than just a physical death. It was a spiritual death. God laid on him all the penalty of your sin and my sin. But thankfully, Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus rose from the grave on the third day. Jesus, 40 days later, ascended into heaven. Jesus lives. There is no sin you have ever committed that Jesus Christ didn't pay for. And so I want to encourage you today, right there where you are, receive the love of God. If you're watching this online, click the follow Jesus button. Let our online pastor, Pastor Matt Garrison, know that you want to follow Christ. Let us help you take these steps in your spiritual journey. 
receive the love of God. But Christian, I want to ask you, do you believe that God loves you unconditionally through Jesus? You see, the New Testament principle is quite amazing. According to the New Testament, God the Father loves you. If you're a follower of Jesus, he loves you as much as he loves his son. God the Father loves you just as much as he loves God the Son. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says, He made him, Jesus, God the Father, made God the Son sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's a poetic way of saying God the Father laid on Jesus all of our punishment, every punishment you deserved, everything I deserved, and gave us his righteousness. Is that hard for you to believe? Hear these verses. Let these verses wash over your soul and ask God to help you believe them. Psalm 139, 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. John 6, 37, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Ephesians 3, 19, know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. How much does God the Father love you? He loves you just as much as Jesus. The happiest day of your life is when you are satisfied with the love of God. We'll love him more when we believe he loves us most. Think about what it would look like. Imagine with me what it would look like for you to believe that you are fully loved. Imagine what it would do for your home, for your marriage, what it would do for your family, for your interaction with your children, what it would do for your attitude at work, what would it do for your relationships in the church or your relationships in the community to know that you are fully loved by God. Receive God's love through Jesus Christ. Have you ever wondered what people experience just before they die? Especially Christians. Have you ever wondered what they see if you've sat with anybody who's a follower of Jesus and, and, and they begin to step out into eternity, maybe you have a story, a similar story, and it's not always the case, but it is often the case. There are things in people that they see that are um, quite eerie, but also really, really uh, encouraging. And so if you're thinking like at times where you hear the stories of people saying they see the flowers and they see the mountains and they see the, the fog or the clouds or whatever it is, I really personally believe there's something to that and really we'll, won't be able to find out until it's our turn. There's an old church tradition that's over a thousand years old that says that God, whenever we die as his saints, that God speaks certain words over us for us to hear as we're passing from, from life to death. 
Now, I don't know if it's true or not. This is just a tradition. But the tradition says that God would quote these words from Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs, chapter 2, verses 10 through 14. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me. See, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of spring has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me. My dove is in the clefts of the rock and the hiding places on the mountainside. Show me your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Remember those verses in just a moment. I read the story again this week of a pastor who served as a chaplain at the leprosy hospital, the only leprosy hospital in the United States, located in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Leprosy, or Hansen's disease, as it's commonly called, is a horrible disease. It affects the skin, the mucous membranes, and the nerves. It causes discoloration and lumps on the skin. It causes uh, disfigurement and deformities. Well, at the hospital, this young chaplain met a woman named Yolanda. She was 37 years of age, and she was ravaged by leprosy. Five years earlier, she had been a beautiful woman. She had beautiful, translucent brown eyes, a chiseled face, long brown hair, but the leprosy had done its damage. Her nose was now pressed into her face. Her mouth, mouth was severely contorted. Her fingers had fallen off. Her husband had divorced her because of the, the social stigma. He wouldn't let her, her two boys go to see her for, for fear that it was contagious. When this pastor knew that Yolanda was dying, he anointed her with oil and prayed with her as she took her dying breaths. He saw what many of us have seen on the faces of dying believers, a face radiating with hope and light from another world, a hope in the eyes never before seen by mortals. So this pastor asked Yolanda, he noticed she was exceptionally happy. He said, why are you so happy? And she said, well, pastor, Jesus is here. And he says that his father is coming to take me home today. Thinking that Yolanda must be hallucinating, the pastor said, well, what else is Jesus saying? Just trying to get her to talk. Yolanda, an illiterate woman, replied, as if repeating every sentence that this heavenly messenger was relaying to her, she said this, he's telling me this, pastor, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me. See, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of the doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me. My dove in the clefts of the rock and the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. And a few seconds later, Yolanda died. Can I encourage you to receive that kind of love while you live? 
Christian, receive the love of God. He loves you. He gave his son for you. He loves you more than you can ever imagine. Receive it. But then finally, and in closing, reflect it. Reflect God's love through Jesus Christ. We saw that emphasis in the verses that we read. Yes, we must believe it and receive it, even daily, reminding ourselves. But we're also to share it and to show it. We're to reflect the love of God to the people around us. And so I'll ask you, how are you doing in the loving others department? How are you doing in the patience department, in the kindness department, in the apology or reconciliation department? How are you doing in the meekness or grace or forgiveness department? I love this quote by Pastor Sean Thornton. He quoted this several years ago at our 75th anniversary here as a church. He said, we live out Christ-like neighborly love when we love people who are the farthest from us. In other words, it's easy for us to love people who are like us, people who are easy to be loved, but sometimes it's very hard to love people who really frankly are almost unlovable. You ever notice how sometimes people can just annoy the tar out of you? Maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, Matt, there's nobody in my life who annoys the tar out of me. Well, maybe you're the person who annoys the tar out of other people. It's those kind of people that God wants us to love. You see, God loved us when we were unlovable. Again, Romans 5, 8, God showed his love for us while we were yet sinners. I love what Rick Warren says. He wrote this several years ago. Our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second, that is to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. But both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. When Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor, he didn't qualify that with anything. He didn't tell us only to love people who do or don't do certain things. That's why I love this quote. I love this t-shirt. I showed it several years ago and got a lot of emails about it. And so I'm just honoring enough to show it again because I believe it. Love thy neighbor. Love thy homeless neighbor, thy Muslim neighbor, thy black neighbor, thy gay neighbor, thy immigrant neighbor, thy Jewish neighbor, thy Christian neighbor, thy atheist neighbor, thy addicted neighbor. Reflect the love of God. Receive it, but then reflect it. You say, why would we do that? Because according to John, it's the way we can have assurance of our salvation. Let's remember this big idea. The whole big idea, the summary of chapter 4, real Christians receive and reflect God's love through Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. You can also join us in person for services on Thursday at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m.